everyone, my name is Jordi Mueller and welcome to the Empower Women series of the month of March. And as spring is coming uh, into finally the forecast here in Boston, uh, we are really excited to have Sarah Hinman from the Mayo Schneider. Uh, how are you doing, Sarah? I'm good, Jordi. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Um, I am, I've been waiting for this particular episode for a while, uh, especially because I myself am very passionate about the entire topic around impact investing. Um, and not necessarily because I see a lot of people just jumping into impact investing, but it's because there's a lot of questions around it. And I think we're going to be able to answer some of them in, in today's conversation. So hopefully you're ready for it. Um, the, I wanted to start with a very simple question, which is, when you go out there in the country and you talk to a lot of advisors, what do you think are some of the biggest misconceptions that you hear coming from the investors on what impact investing, ESG, the entire sustainability world uh, actually does uh, versus what people tend to think it does? Sure, sure. That's a, that's a really good question, Jordy. And I would say first, one of the misconceptions um, that I think is starting to change a little bit is the notion that you have to sacrifice return for ESG. Um, so, so traditionally, right, the, the only approach out there was an exclusionary approach where you excluded thin stocks from your portfolio. Um, and that's, you know, modern investment and approaches are changing, right? So that's not the only approach out there anymore. There are things like tilting or integration where you're tilting towards the good actors out there. There's things like shareholder engagement where you're able to vote proxies or engage directly with, with companies to direct change and also impact investing. So investing with companies where, where business models there are inherently designed to drive change. So, so I think there's, there's definitely been some momentum and some change happening in the industry that is, that is turning the, the colors on that, on that myth that we've seen in the past. I'm, I'm honestly, I'm very glad you're excited with that particular one. This is one that uh, we hear often, uh, and not necessarily from end clients. Sometimes, even also on the advisor side of things, we tend to to see a little hesitance, uh, especially when it comes to performance comparisons. Uh, and I can tell you for one main reason benchmarking this specific type of investments in the past has been really hard uh because they tend to be like you said exclusionary uh that has changed drastically and now if if i would like to to kind of like just express this they should be benchmarked as any other investment because this is in my perspective just an extra way of checking and doing due diligence in companies instead of uh a different way of doing due diligence. It's just an extra layer. Correct, correct. And you actually see it, you know, more and more managers are actually incorporating, you know, ESG as part of their process as a way to mitigate risk, right? So um, if, if you're looking at the, the G side of things specifically, right, if uh, active managers are looking at, you know, when they're doing their fundamental due diligence with companies, they're saying, you know, what what does your supply chain look like? Are there governance issues there? Are there labor issues, right? And and if there are, right, that could be a potential risk to the company's future performance. I, so it's, it's definitely a new way of thinking about things and, and something we're seeing more and more of 
with with adoption with managers that don't necessarily label themselves as an ESG manager. I will definitely want to talk a little bit about the value set and how, how just starting to think about sustainability, impact, ESG investments as part of your portfolio or as the way you implement your portfolios is... Uh, is the right first step, right? Like uh, thinking about your values. But but since you mentioned the G in in the ESG, let's just get through the E and the S as well. So so we are all on the same page. Uh, tell me what you consider part of the current E in the environmental part of it. Sure. I mean, part of the current E, there are so many facets, right? To, <laughs> I know. <laughs> to it, right? We could really spend a lot of time there. But, you know, some of the some of the key themes that we see um, are fossil fuel divestment currently and and also climate change. So I'd say those are the two key themes that that we're seeing on on the environmental front and how can we improve? How can companies improve um, to to, you know, improve our future on this planet, essentially? Exactly. Um, so I think those are the key th- the key themes for, for the environmental side. Yeah, which I think a lot of people, when they come to us, they come specifically for this reason uh, currently. Like I would say this is like the last maybe three to five years. is It's somehow environmental driven. Uh, and then they realize, oh, this is like an entire different world where, where I can start choosing companies, not just on the environmental part, but uh, as they do other social and governance, uh, I guess, proactive uh, improvements in their practices. Um, I have a question for you on the social. This one is interesting for me because compared to Europe and other places on the world, the United States tends to, by law, not require some of this, um, I would say, reporting or, or metric tracking within their companies. But the majority of, I would say, top 500 companies are starting to self-report these themselves. Um, why do you see this... Uh, in the future, meaning evolving? Do you see this as a possible requirement from governments, uh, especially the American government, or or do you think this is going to be an eternal self-reporting mechanism, especially the social part of the ESG part? Sure. You know, the social part is really one that's, that's taken such prominence over the last year as well. Um, and, and we have seen improvement on the data disclosure front, um, both in terms of some countries uh, mandating further disclosure and some, as you, as you point out, to companies self-reporting. And I think as, as there's been so much momentum um, on the social side of things over the last year, and as that momentum carries, right, there's pressure from the public and stakeholders to disclose that data. Um, so I think as long as that that momentum continues, I think you'll continue to see companies under pressure to disclose more and more data as a result. Yeah, I mean, here in Boston, uh, I think we're a little familiar with the impact management project uh, as, as a way to try to come up with a way to measure just this in general universally. So I, I can see definitely more and more organizations jumping into some initiatives like that uh, to come up with standards on how to measure this, because that's another problem, right? Like, there's no really quite global adopted standards on how to measure success here. Correct. You hit the nail on the head with that one, Jordy. <laughs> so I'd say you know, one of the 
one of the key challenges with, with ESG investing is that there's really not a standard framework out there. Um, you know, the UN SDGs were announced in 2015, and you started to see managers report impact according to those UN SDGs. So we're starting to see somewhat of a framework emerge around those sustainable development goals. But right, there's there's no standards for reporting um, as it relates to, to measurement uh, of impact. Um, we're starting to see some uniformity around the UN SDGs, but those, again, are, are voluntary and, and, and managers doing that on their own accord, not being mandated to do so. Yeah, and I want to yeah. actually clarify this a little more because this is something that uh, I think a couple of years ago we had an event and uh, we were hosting a session on, on impact investing in ESG and there had there was a confusion on this. Is um, When we are discussing that there's no really a specific I'm going to call it KPI or just like the specific measurement of success from these funds. We're not meaning on performance uh, for what it would be like a typical S&P 500 performance. What we're referring is to if we are trying to be more impactful with our investments, how do you measure that impact versus the return on the capital? So that's like the extra part that we're, that we're talking about here. Correct. Uh, yes. And, and that's, that's what I was referring to also, right? With those, you, you start to see some of these impact reports come out. And for instance, they'll say, we, we voted X number of times on these proxies, and this is how we voted. And that's a measure of what they call their impact. Or more specifically, you could see some managers say, we engaged directly with X number of companies on these issues. And they define their success, perhaps, as how many companies they saw change their policies as a result of their direct engagement. Um, so that's, again, kind of, again, but it's very subjective, right? This is, this is coming from, from the manager and what they feel is a success um, and what they report as a success as well. I mean, this, this, I know this is going to be a conversation until there's an organization that doesn't come with like a specific thing and then everybody adopts it. This is always going to be a part of the conversation of, of how, to, how to measure this. Um, I, I want to switch a little bit of topics on just, you talk about this every day. You see a lot of people around the country uh, implementing portfolios on ESG uh, or impact. And tell me about trends. Um, I have a graph in front of me that I'm just going to describe, and this is on assets uh, under management that were invested back in 2005 on something related to ESG, because back then not everything was labeled ESG. So I guess looking backwards, we can categorize them as ESG, but it's around 200 million, uh, which is not a lot. And then we have that graph all the way to 2020 and it cross 800 billion so you're talking mm-hmm. almost a trillion dollars that's a huge mm-hmm. increase on assets in this particular space mm-hmm. is that is that correct and and why is that sure i mean i don't i don't have the numbers in front of me so i can't confirm accuracy on those on those numbers jordy the general trend there right is is, is is correct, right? Assets and ESG investments have been rising um, from investors. And that continued, you know, we really saw a momentum and a push in 2020 as well um, as, 
as, as a number of, of investors really felt it more important to them to to start investing according to their mission. And, and we're starting to see more and more questions from, from clients who have never talked about ESG investing before. They're at least wanting to have a conversation about it. So the numbers are there. They support the reality of, of what we're seeing as well on the, on the, on the ground. Um, and so we, ex- we expect that to continue, right? We, we've seen this momentum and we don't expect it to slow down at all. Yeah. Um, I think that the last topic I want to touch into this conversation, which uh, is it's an important one, is the difference between what you consider impact investing and and implementing an ESG portfolio. Uh, and some of this has to do just with literally the mechanism of implementation. Uh, but, mm-hmm. but but yeah, if you want to expand on that a little bit, and I might add a couple of comments if if I may. But but go ahead. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, we, we view impact investing really as a as a sleeve of, of ESG investing. And we see it um, impact investing as really a specific way to to approach it and really through the vehicle of the private market. So some sort of private equity um, and the like. And essentially how I think of it is is that you invest directly into a company whose business model is driving the change that you'd like to see, right? So it, there's, I know there's a lot of companies out there that may say, well, we give X, to X percent of our revenues to X cause, which is wonderful, right? That they're doing that. But we really see that as more of a philanthropy approach um, versus the impact investing approach. Um, so, so an impact investing, I love to give the example of threadup.com, which is an online um, retail clothing site, but it's, it's secondhand. So essentially what you do is you send in your used clothes and they resell it for you online. And then what's not sellable, they'll donate to something like a Goodwill or Salvation Army. And what's not even donatable, um, so it's not even a, in a condition to donate, they'll upcycle the fabric partners that they have in the industry. And so you're saying, well, why there is that a, a business model that drives change? Well, if you think about it, with the rise of the fast fashion industry since the Great Recession, you've really seen fashion, the fashion industry, be one of the major contributors yes. to filling up our landfill, right? And so this model that they have, that they have of, of recycling clothes, right, and not buying new, right, inherently keeps clothes out of the landfill. And, and gives them a longer life. So that business model, then you can say that's impact investing. Yeah, I, and and I think that's a great example because there's 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 companies and, and and let's not forget about this even how you no matter how you implement your portfolio if it's a bucket of etfs or mutual funds active or passive management at the end of the day mm-hmm. there's real companies doing real business uh that you are investing mm-hmm. your money with and for companies to start changing their ways <laughs> to adapt to 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 comply i would say with esg standards it's going to be way more difficult than companies that are that have that on their DNA, that that part of their business right. model and to start to function was to create an impact. So so you can have a, a direct visibility into 
the growth and the growth of the impact of the company as they grow. So, so, so those are two distinctive types of companies. Uh, by the way, both good, I would say. It's just different approach to to ESG impact investing. Um, I I actually was yesterday on a webinar. It was an interesting one. We're uh, specifically talking about impact investing. They mentioned one of the biggest ways to have impact investing in your portfolio is actually with muni bonds. And I'm not trying to throw a, a softball to you right now on this call. It's not my intention, but it kind of clicked on me. It's like, yeah, that's actually local community projects most of the time. Um, so it's definitely a way of impact. Yeah, there, there are a number of ways you could yeah. think about that. And you can definitely apply that concept of impact investing for a, 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 a municipal bond that's funding a project, right? That yeah. is improving something that you'd like to see, right? Yeah, so, exactly. So you can definitely apply that to the Aeneas communities as well. Mm-hmm. And um, the last question I want to ask you before I let you go today, and I'm super thankful for your time, and uh, I know you spent the time in the event. We got good feedback from it. Uh, so, so very, very thankful at Lexington for your time. Is what book, if you have one, would you recommend people to read these days specifically so they get in the mindset of sustainability and impact? I know you are always into the investment world, so you're reading a lot of investment stuff, but if if, if it's not investment related, mm-hmm. I would highly <laughs> encourage that. Sure, you know, I would say actually, um, so my, my reading I do is usually more kind of kind of girly and fun, and I listen to podcasts more Absolutely. so to stay up to date on on um, on on what's happening in the ESG world. Um, so I know some I, I listen to. There's an MSCI ESG podcast out there. There's a Sustainalytics podcast out there. There's also a UN SDG podcast out there as well. And those are a few that are in my rotation, just so I. Hey, I'm awesome. I've actually wrote them down myself. So thank you so much, Sarah. This has been great. And um, if anybody has any questions or is thinking about it, uh, we didn't even cover like the value set of the conversation, which is extremely important as well. Uh, we'll have another event later in the year regarding this particular part, which is how to align your values to your investment. Uh, but. But yeah, reach out to us. Uh, we'll put you in contact with Demir Schneider or with Sarah if there's any further questions. But I really, really appreciate your time, Sarah. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks, Jordy. Thanks for having me. And until next time, this was the Empower Women series of the month of March. My name is Jordy Miller and hope you have a great day. Lexington Wealth Management is a group of investment professionals registered by Hightower Securities LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors LLC, a registered independent investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referred herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance and is not guaranteed. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analysis, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as a general market commentary and does not constitute investment advice. Lexington Wealth Management and Hightower shall not in any way be liable for claims and make no express or implied representation or warranties 
as to the accuracy or completeness of the data on other information or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced herein. The data and information are provided as a date of reference. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This document was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of Lexington Well Management and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates.